Sometimes, despite your best efforts, your recovery gets derailed. Powerful life triggers, a lack of support, a wrong turn. Relapse happens, it's frustrating, but the important thing is to not wait another day to get back on track. Foundations Recovery Network is here to help with more than a dozen outpatient programs and six residential treatment centers to choose from. Our co-occurring treatment model gets to the root of your addiction, putting you back on the road to recovery. Call 877-714-1318 to reach our confidential helpline 24-7. We're waiting by the phone. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Adult content, Cam. Emotional humans nudity. Humans back in. Humans. Gotta love some humans. What's your favorite human song? Um, I love uh, well, Water Water was like the first one that I listened to that I was like, wow. Yo, what's up? Thanks for tuning in today. Welcome to Sober Guy Radio. Thanks to humans for bringing us in, of course. And thank you to, uh, for supporting the show. We're live at Innovations and Recovery Conference in San Diego, California, brought to you by the Amazing Foundations Recovery Network, uh, wonderful sponsors of Sober Guy Radio. So big thanks to them for having us out today. Uh, we are down here in some beautiful weather, hanging out by the beach, enjoying uh, some great company in the recovery industry and, uh, and meeting some great people and hopefully spreading the great word of what it's like to live in a life of recovery and uh, a life of change and really fulfilling the things that we as human beings uh, want to live for. We're going to get to our guest today in just a moment, but first I want to tell you about a new treatment program, DXRX. DXRX provides access to alcohol treatment specialists, safe medication, and ongoing monitoring for people who want to stop or reduce their drinking, and it's all done through a simple phone app. Here's what will happen the first time that you call. You can take a test and assess your uh, alcohol drinking. You can see where you're at. It's a good place to start. Before you start the program, you'll meet with a physician who's a specialist in addiction. You'll discuss your goals for drinking, your health history, and any concerns Um, The physician will then create a personalized care plan just for you. You then monitor your progress with the breathalyzer and the DXRX mobile app. And the physician can also recommend safe, effective, non-habit-forming medicine that will help ease the alcohol cravings. Now, DXRX is a a great team of doctors and professionals. They're from right near my hometown in the Bay Area. And actually, Dr. John Mendelson is here at the Innovations in Recovery Conference. Uh, I've hung out with him quite a few times since we've been here. I've been chatting, and he is a a great dude, and they have a great team. Rolando over there doing a lot of the marketing. Um, Just some great doctors and uh, great people behind the platform and uh, really want to help bring substance abuse treatment to the next level and offer a new and innovative alternative uh, to treatment. So if you'd like more information about DXRX, go to that soberguy.com and you'll see the DXRX logo stronger than alcohol. Click on the logo and get started today. That brings us to our guest today, Cam Adair and uh, awesome dude. Super stoked to talk with him today. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. Something we haven't talked about uh, really at all on uh, on Sober Guy Radio, and that is gaming addiction. Let me tell you a little about a little bit about Cam first. Cam is a Canadian-born speaker, YouTuber, YouTuber, and pioneer on video game addiction. 
He's the founder of Game Quitters, that's GameQuitters.com, and it's the world's largest support community for video game addiction with members in over 70 countries. Cam, what is up, my friend? How are you? Happy to be back. Round two, let's go. Yes, round two. So uh, let's address that really quick uh, just so people out there uh, uh, understand. We did a phenomenal session yesterday, and sometimes with tech stuff, you have tech difficulties. And so Cam was nice enough to come back today. And I kind of look at it, Cam, like we're just going to crush it today. And we had a great one yesterday. We're going to have a even greater one today. Absolutely. You will not be surprised by any of the stats or figures or there, there will be no, wow, I didn't know that. You'll yes. be like, actually, no, I did know that. Actually, Thanks. yes. You told me that yesterday, but nobody will know that either. So let's jump into you, man. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Cam. Yeah. So I'm the founder of Game Quitters, GameQuitters.com. It's the largest support community of video game addiction. We have members in 79 countries around the world, which kind of blows my Crazy. mind. And this all began through my own journey. So I was playing video games for over 10 years, eventually came to a point where I dropped out of high school, never went to college. And while all my friends were off to college, I was living at home, playing video games up to 16 hours a day, pretending to have jobs, deceiving my family, and eventually came to a point where I wrote a suicide note. And that's the night when I realized I no longer really felt safe with myself. I no longer felt like I could prioritize my health and well-being and I needed to make a change. And Quitting gaming or overcoming that addiction in my life was the beginning of that process, and here I am kind of nine years later. Yeah, so it's already been nine years since? Around that, you know, I relapsed at one point. I quit originally for two years, and I was pretty good, and then I relapsed, and when I relapsed, I went from not gaming for two years to gaming 16 hours a day, literally overnight, Really, and I gamed for five months straight, and it was during that process that I realized there was something else going on. It wasn't just as simple as, oh, these fun little video games, there was something else, and And that's when I kind of realized that there were specific reasons why I was so drawn to games. And those insights were what allowed me to really kind of identify, you know, how can I move forward and and truly move forward for good. Tell us about uh, about your job at the time and what you were doing so you could continue uh, that gaming addiction. And then your parents thought you were actually working. So I realized, you know, as much as. I wasn't going to school, you know, like any parent, they'd say, well, if you're not going to school, you have to get a job. And, you know, I thought that was fair, but working wasn't really something I was super inspired about. So I actually pretended to have jobs. So every day my dad would drop me off at a restaurant where I was a quote unquote prep cook. And as soon as he drove off, I'd walk across the street, catch the bus back home and, and sneak in through my window and just go back to sleep. Right. And my parents would come home around like three or four in the afternoon after they were done work. Yeah. And I always just kind of said, you know, I had a nap after work. That's why I was just waking up. And, you know, eventually they start to ask, you know, where's the paycheck? Yeah. <laughs> and so then I would just make up some excuse like, you know, I got fired or I quit or, you know, any way I could kind of confuse them. Yeah. And so it's based on confusion. So yeah. Confuse the, total, the shit out of them. And then that way, though, they won't know what's going on. Exactly. The total strategy was just confusion and, and trying to overwhelm them yeah. with uh, with trying to decipher, you know, what was really going on. and and wearing them out, right? Because the yeah. more they were tired or confused or frustrated, the more they would just kind of give up, you know? And I don't think every parent's gonna do that, but my parents were definitely like that. Yeah. So when did you first, well, you, you kind of already mentioned that. You you you'd got to the point where you were staying up all, all night basically playing. Um, how did that affect your social life? It's interesting, you know, because on some level, I really didn't have very many friends and I look at my life now and I'm so blessed to have amazing relationships, truly amazing relationships and so many of them. Back then, I didn't really have very many friends, but I was having a very social experience online. 
because online I was playing with people, I was interacting, I was hanging out all day, and, and gaming was really just a way that we were kind of hanging out, bonding, it was the activity, but the social experience of gaming was really why I was so drawn to it. Yeah, yeah. So I did feel like I had friends, but and they were meaningful relationships to me, but outside of the gaming world, I was really isolated. And so if you're, if, and I, I think um, we kind of talked about this before, something that, that I think was important was you can't go immediately to someone who is, um, you know, has made that just such an, a huge part of their life gaming. They, they create these friendships through, um, through the games, right? Through playing live games. Um, how do you, how does like a person deal with some, like their parents say coming in and saying, those aren't your real friends. Like that's not, that's not real. Like you're living in a false reality. That's not, you need to get with reality. Like you said, go get a job, go like, what does that do to somebody who's going through that? They experience it as rejection. And when they feel rejected, yeah, they get rejected. They feel unaccepted. They feel unwelcome. They feel unsafe. And what happens is online, that community online is where they feel accepted and safe and welcome and like they're surrounded by other people who get them and what happens is that creates a contrast between real life society doesn't get them gaming gets them and that just creates a disconnection and i think like the stigma of that is a huge reason why people are so drawn to games because if someone was going to quit playing video games what you're really telling them is to stop having friends what you're really telling them is they they need to re-enter this society that, that doesn't accept them anyways yeah it creates an us versus them mentality and and breaking through that is essential for us to be able to help people who are struggling with this you know when i speak about gaming and, and i should even say it right now i'm not against gaming yeah i'm really just trying to help people who want help and need support to be able to live a great life and whether that includes gaming or not i don't really care yeah i just want to help you yeah that's a great point man because i kind of equate that for me in my my own addictions and stuff i'm not i'm not against alcohol i'm not against marijuana like i i mean i don't really care like if i don't judge people if they if they can do that responsibly i'm kind of jealous that they can do it responsibly like i can't but that's not really the issue the issue comes from within the person who's who's having to use those tools whether it be gaming um you know weed drugs whatever or uh, alcohol whatever the hell it is that's the tool they're using so how do you start like once you pull back from gaming how do you start developing healthy tools um, to actually live in the quote-unquote real world whatever the hell that is so I, I believe it begins by understanding why you were so drawn to games in the first place or, or so drawn to anything in the first place yeah. because ultimately that's just a activity a substance but it's what it's fulfilling for you on a human needs level underneath that's really causing you and your behavior to be so focused on it. Yeah. So in yeah. gaming, for me, there are four specific reasons. Number one, temporary escape. Number two, social connection. Number three, constant measurable growth. And number four, sense of purpose. Games are specifically designed for you to have social interaction. They're specifically designed for you to be able to play more and more and more. They're specifically designed for you to always see your progress. You get to go from level one to two to three to four. In real life, that's significantly harder. You don't always know you're growing, and sometimes you're growing and, and you feel like you're dying, right? So games yeah. are specifically designed for you to see structure. And when it comes to sense of purpose, when, it, when, you, when you're playing a game, you always know what to do next. 
right? You have to beat this boss, get this level, get this yeah. weapon. You always know what the next step is, and that's the invisible hand of game design. It's showing you, you know, you need to go here. You may not succeed, but that's the path you need to go. In life, am I supposed to get this job or this job? Go to yeah. this school, this school, right? Study this subject, this subject. Live in this city. You don't always know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so hard. It's more abstract and it's more complex. And that's the, the the reason why gaming can be so immersive is is because it fulfills all of that for you. What's the general age age um, uh, range for for and percentages that, that are addicted to gaming? The stereotype is that it would be kids. Yeah, but that's not, what I think. I think of yeah. kids. Like I think of little Timmy in his, you know, in his in his mom's bedroom, or I mean, his own bedroom, his mom's house, just getting down on some games. But that's not the case, huh? It is, and it isn't. So, I think it's important to, to walk through the the process of how this happened. So, number one, thirteen percent of students between grades seven and twelve have a video game problem. That came out of CAMH, a very reputable organization in Ontario, Canada. That's one province of nine in Canada and 13% of students in those grades, that's 100,000 students. You add up that province, all the provinces in Canada, all the, the students between those ages in yeah. the US and 77 other countries I have members, that's millions and millions of students. Now what's interesting is those are quote unquote the kids, right? But our largest demographic is college students because what happens is you get away with it in high school you get to college, now you have more responsibility, less supervision, harder yeah. classwork, more stress. The way you deal with stress is you game. Gaming then causes you to get behind on school. You're more stressed, so you game to escape, and that's where the spiral happens. Now, 48% of our audience on YouTube, which YouTube is a kid's platform more than anything, 48% of our audience on YouTube is between 25 and 34 so these are what I would classify as working adults or supposed to be working adults. It's college students and working adults or supposed to be working adults that I think this is where the problem manifests. But it begins in high school or yeah. younger. And that's where I'm, I'm concerned is right now it's 13%. But those are students who only started gaming when they were three, four, five years old. Yeah. Now we're starting at 18 months. We're not going to know what that 13% number is going to be. Yeah for four, five, six, seven years. Well, yeah, I, I, and like my uh, my daughter, for instance, when she was like two, I can literally remember her, um, is that even a, does that even make sense to say I literally remember something? I would just say I remember something, right? I don't think literally needs to be there, but I, I wanna call that out because I think it's kind of funny. Anyways, weird mind, weird thought. Um, my daughter was two, and it was almost like she had this natural, she probably did, she had this natural ability to just know how to swipe through the iPhone or swipe through the iPad and know how to find Nick Jr. on there, know how to set up her own shows. And I remember just being like, holy shit, like how, how, do, how does she know that already? And it, it came very easy to her, you know what I mean? And so point to this is another thing I think the stereotypical gaming thing would be, at least for me, and I don't know a whole lot about it, is I think of Xbox or I think of, of PlayStation or, or along those lines, like actual video games, Atari, Nintendo, things I grew up on when I was a kid. Um, but how does that kind of translate into iPads and gaming and technology itself? Because I think that is almost like, it's like the next, the next thing, like next to just playing, you know, Xbox or PS4 or something. Absolutely. And, and this is where, you know, especially when it comes to addiction, it's really important for us to consider the fact that 
we now have access everywhere. Yeah. Right? Everyone has a smartphone. Everyone has access to, to being able to get on a game. But what, what happens is there's certain game design now in mobile apps that if you were to replicate that on a PC, Xbox, you would think that sort of game design was crazy. So let me tell you about it. Yeah. It's called turn-based delays. So you're playing a mobile app and they'll let you play for five minutes and then they'll say you either have to wait 24 hours to play again or pay $5 or pay $1. Now in that moment, when you're playing that mobile app, you're standing in line at the bank, you're waiting at the bus stop, maybe you're a little bit stressed from work, you need a break, and for $1, you can just continue to play and not have to wait 24 hours. Now imagine you have a family, right? So you sat down. Dude, that is crazy. <laughs> imagine you sat down to watch a movie with your family and you started to watch it and five minutes in, it paused and said, you either have to pay $5 now or wait 24 hours and then they'll let you watch to some watch more. watch the rest of the movie? You would think would piss that, me off. <laughs> right, you would think that was a scam. Yeah. You'd be like, that's an absolute scam. Either tell me up front, it's yeah. $5 to play or let me watch it. Yeah. Right? But that's what's happening. And now kids or anyone, they're spending so much money, hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars playing these mobile apps because they're specifically designed to get you to invest more money. And what happens when you invest more money? We know the sunk cost fallacy where you feel more invested, loss aversion, these, these cognitive biases we have. We want to continue to play because... If we stop playing these games that we've invested hundreds or thousands of dollars into, that means all that money was a waste. Yeah. And so you continue to play even though it's no longer serving you. Could you imagine if you gave an alcoholic who had a bad day like a glass of scotch and said, here you go, take a sip, and then pulled it back and said, I need $20 or you can have the rest tomorrow. That might be a good form of therapy, actually. I don't know. Definitely interesting. Um, man, dude, that is crazy. There's, It's just, it's amazing to me how like... And when I first heard gaming addiction, right? Like I said, I think of Xbox, that kind of stuff too. But I also think, um, I also think, how can that be an issue? Because the forefront of it, the stigma of it, it's gaming, right? But there's so much, there's so much um, emotion, and um, and really, we'll talk about the scientific part of it, like the human human development part of it. Like, how does that affect, um, how does that affect a, a, a kid who's like just playing all the time? So one, one way I like to think about it, and, and I'll go into what you just asked me in a second, is that gaming is so hyper-immersive, right? So the type of stimulation that you get in games is so far greater than what you can get in quote-unquote real life. Yeah. That the more you play, it's a single focus, right? It's just like, boom, you're in a game, nothing else. You don't even see anything else. You're just focused on the game. Yeah. And games are, again, specifically designed with, like, noises and and badges and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah, you feel like you're part of the game. Right, once, that, yeah. that make you feel like, wow, I'm making so much progress. And with the immersion side, your brain gets used to that level of stimulation that quote-unquote real life is unable to provide, right? Even though life is very engaging. So is it actually producing like serotonin? Like, is that, I mean, it's I mean, it's like dopamine inside. hits are just like ping, yeah. ping, ping, right? Like just going off. Damn. And what happens is you need like a 90-day period for your brain to come back to normal level. So what we hmm. experience a lot in our community is people who have been gaming forever they say i want to quit but real life is so boring but it's not because real life is actually boring it's because the comparison between gaming and real life yeah that is boring right and so that's that's one thing the second part though is 
when when you saw your kid playing with the iPad and, and being able to do all this different stuff, as a parent, I imagine you're like, wow, my kid is so smart. Yeah. That's so amazing, right? And that's really cool. But the other side of it is in my community, gaming is maybe the only hobby that they've ever had because they started so young. Yeah, so it's and almost all they know. Exactly, right? And so they never went outside and had to interact with their neighbors to be able to come up with games to play. They never figured out how to be resourceful to use their environment to keep them engaged. They never had to actually integrate into the world around them and develop those intangible skills of creativity, social skills, resourcefulness, independence to be able to actually engage in the world. And over time, what happens is they end up coming to our community and they're 20, 21, 22, 23. And they're like, I've never done anything else. I don't even know how to make new friends. I don't even know how to entertain myself. I don't even know other hobbies I could have. Yeah. And that's where over time, the intangible skill development that has not happened, that's where it becomes a crisis. So I'm not, I'm not bashing at all. I just want to say, first of all, the gaming industry or anything about that. Okay. So this question, I want to preface that first. Um, do you think, or have you ever thought about, or maybe it's in the gaming community, I don't know, that there is a larger picture for this that is meant um, to almost, in a sense, um, uh, program kids at a young age to not branch out and start to um, start to get out in the community. So it's, it's almost like, because um, I, I feel there's a lot of things in society that can program us, right? And kind of dumb us down and keep us, um, keep us in, in conformed, I guess, to say. Um, is there any talk about that? Like how, from a political perspective or, um, is that relevant in the gaming community or in our community? It's certainly a discussion. It is. Uh, yeah. It's, it's awesome. certainly a discussion. I was wondering, yeah. Man, yeah. And you know, I, I don't tend to go down that rabbit hole too, too far. Yeah. Uh, just because it's, it can go deep. <laughs> it, you can go deep real quick and, and it's yeah. hard to, to know because there's, there's such a lack of evidence, but I do think that games are specifically designed for you to play them more. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that you know, the gaming company's response so far to gaming addiction, which has been kind of just to pretend it's not a problem, is, yeah. you know, not that good. And, and, you know, any gaming companies listening to this, hit me up. I'd love to work with you and, and figure out a way for you to be a positive member of being able to help people like a small yeah. fringe percentage, 1%, whatever, 10% of your community who, who have challenges to be able to support them while allowing everyone else to game yeah. in peace. Right. And so we'll see. We'll see if the gaming companies step up and say, you know what? We recognize this. We want to help. We want to make sure that people are doing this responsibly and and we can contribute to that. So yeah. we'll see. Well, and to that point, how can anybody address a, 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 address a situation like this when they haven't experienced themselves? So if you get a bunch of out, you know, um, third party companies or media or whatever that's trying to report statistics and all this stuff, that's not coming straight from the horse's mouth. Like you and your community are actually the ones who are, have been in the trenches actually going through it. And that's part of the work that GameQuitters.com does is to help bring that to light, right? Absolutely. And, you know, there was this amazing post by one of our members, Jose, from Spain. He's kind of like the, the official Game Quitters ambassador of nice. Spain. What's up, Jose? And for him, <laughs> you know, he wrote this post one time about how, you know, as much as Cam is kind of like the face or as much as Cam's story is out there, when what people don't realize is when we as as a community read Cam's story, we just see ourselves. Wow. Right? And so that's, that's something good. I'm very mindful of. I know that I have the ability to be here right now and do this podcast. Yeah. I know I have the ability to be out there in the media 
talking about this, advocating for it. But at the end of the day, my story is just a representation of our community's story and every person in our community who struggles with this too. Yeah. And that's really important for me. So what do you say about the violence in some of the games? Um, I know that's that, that that's an issue sometimes, especially for parents. They don't want, like, I don't want my six-year-old, you know, d- what, looking at a violent game. She's, you know, she's too young. Even that's just not acceptable to me as a parent, right? Um, how do you address that? Is there, is there any evidence to support that that violence in games leads to kids acting out real violence in, in real life? The violence in video games narrative has been a crucial mistake by, by professionals in the industry. And the reason is because, first of all, research is very inconclusive on the subject, you know, period. Yeah. Doesn't support it. Any studies you find that do support it, it's very like maybe for 30 minutes after someone plays, they might so be a little who, bit more who's aggressive. Who's doing these studies? Like, I mean, oh, you don't have to name names if you don't want to. I'm totally cool with that. But like, is it just general media platforms that are or, or big media platforms that are doing or is there actually science behind it? Or is it just like we're spouting off some bullshit that we really don't know what the fuck we're talking about? Well, to be to be honest, I, you know, fake news is a big term right now. Yeah, right. And, and I might start dropping a term called fake researchers because I see <laughs> I see researchers sharing yeah. research where I'm like, are that's you serious? Fake. Like, like that's fake research. Yeah. Um, I love it. Hashtag fake research. Yeah, we're pulling I mean, camp. New York Times just published this article. that just like lit me up because it was just ridiculous. But what happens just to walk you through? When Pretty school, sure everything those guys post is ridiculous. But anyway, when, another topic. When, when when school shootings happened, you know, were happening a lot in the '90s. That became associated with video games, and that's where it really began. And so parents were freaking out, saying, "Oh my God, my kids are playing these violent video games. They're going to become yeah. the next school shooters." But what happened was that narrative was the dominating narrative narrative around video games, video game addiction, playing video games too much. You're going to become violent. Research doesn't support it. But in the media, that was the whole conversation. And in that, this whole community of people who were saying, yo, I'm not violent, but I am struggling with an addiction to video games, they got left behind, right? And so when you talk to this community, whether you go on Stop Gaming on Reddit or GameQuarters.com, you won't find people there who identify with being addicted to video games who believe in any way that it actually makes them more violent, (laughs) right? So it's like, wait, are we talking to actual people who struggle with this or are we just randomly talking to random people about it? So violence in video games was a narrative that has caused our community's mission to be years and years and years behind. And yeah. so I'm out there now and I'm starting to see a shift in the conversation around, let's talk about actual just video game addiction. Violence in video games is a completely different story. Cool, you guys can do research on it, whatever. But at the end of the day, we need to support people who are struggling with a video game addiction with the actual addiction and be able to help them live a great life. And outside of that, I honestly don't really care. Yeah. I love that too. It's like, it's because there's so many components to it, but at the, at the end of the day, it's really about helping people. Right. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. That's it. And like you said too, just like me, yeah, I had an alcohol and a drug problem at one point. Um, I've been able to at least keep it maintained up until today. You know, I try to do it one one day at a time, the old cliche. But there's millions of other people out there just like me with similar stories, different components to it. Same in the gaming world. So you're just bringing to light, um, you know, this issue. And uh, you've been able to create something, a community behind it that's pretty awesome, man. Like, um, what do you... like? What is the community 
active in on a daily basis? Like, would it take us through like um, a couple days in the gaming community that's actually trying to recover from some of this stuff? Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I want to give a big shout out to everyone in the community. Again, as much as I might be out there on the front lines, you know, in media and stuff, this is a collective effort of individuals. And I owe a lot of credit to a lot of different people who who have helped me get to where I am today and and helped our community be where it is today. And so I just want to make sure that, you know, we give a big shout out to them uh, because it's us as a collective. And and ultimately, this community made a decision that we weren't going to wait for organizations or governments or or someone else to come and and care about our issue. We were just gonna go out there and do it ourselves and support each other. So on an everyday basis, you know, you can find people supporting each other on Reddit at Stop Gaming, the subreddit. You can find us on Discord, supporting each other, Stop Gaming on Discord, on the Game Quarters forum, on Game Quarters on YouTube. You can find a collective group of people, 20,000 members a month in 79 countries around the world, really supporting each other. And, you know, for instance, on the Game Quarters forum right now, there was a member recently from Poland who shared that, you know, for him to share a journal and to share his experience and get help was easier for him in his native language. And we actually have a bunch of members from Poland. Yeah. And now they're all interacting in Polish and I don't speak any Polish. And so I have no idea what they're saying. Maybe they're talking <laughs> shit about me, but they're, like, they're helping each other, right? <laughs> they're helping each other. And that's what's cool, right? Yeah, because yeah. ultimately these members are all coming to get together to say, hey, you know, this is something I struggle with and I'm here to support you. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but we're going to be here and you're not alone. And that's yeah. so important. Yeah, it's huge, man. Knowing that you're not alone and being able um, to have the ability to just reach out for help. And a lot of that, the ability to do that is a lot of it depends on connections and knowing that you're not alone. Like I had my good homie, Seth, a part, he's been on the show a bunch of times. I've known him since the fifth grade. He tells me like he, he sent me uh, a text when, uh, we were on our way down here and he said, Hey, what's up, man? Really proud of, uh, of you and the work you're doing in the recovery community. And I hit, I, I shot him back. I said, man, thanks dude. But you know what? you're responsible, you played a big part in it because you helped pave the way because he got sober before I did. And I don't know that I would have had the courage and the strength to go through that had I not been able to look at him and say, well, man, if Seth could do it, I could do it too. And I think that goes back to that community, those connections made. Um, you have other people who have um, struggled with the same, you know, same type of stuff. Um, one question I got to ask you that uh, it's not my favorite question, but I think it's a relevant question. And I think that people probably ask it often. I have an open mind to this kind of stuff. Uh, thankfully, um, some people don't, and they might say gaming addiction, that's bullshit. Like what, what do you say to those type of people or, or how does that make the community feel and how do they kind of deal with that? Yeah. So this is timely because this New York times article just came out called video games aren't addictive. That was a sham. (laughs) <laughs> and I posted it in our community and you know, our community was very like, I, I just don't get it. But one thing that we've said is we don't need to be officially recognized as an addiction by some doctors in suits yeah. for us to care about our issue. We can care about our issue and we can support each other and that's it. So when I think about addiction, number one, I'm thinking about negative impact. Negative impact for me came in many forms. I dropped out of high school. Yeah. I almost committed suicide. I pretended to have jobs and deceive my family. I lost relationships. You know, those were very, like, that's very negative impact in my mind. I interact with people every single day, like our member Joe, who 
You know, he had a newborn daughter at home. He was on leave to take care of her and he found himself getting annoyed every time she was crying because he had to pause his game and go take care of her. You know, Joe wants to be a great father. I know yeah. you want to be a great father. And, Absolutely. You know, for him, that was having an impact on his relationship with his daughter. I meet people every single day who are dropping out of school, unemployed, unable to get themselves going. And so that's negative impact. That's where I begin. You know, being unable to stop playing, being yeah. unable to moderate, uh, trying to quit and relapsing. All of these things in my mind, that's addiction, yeah, right? But we sure. don't need sure. to wait until some doctors. Some expert. Yeah, some unquote. experts, yeah. right? Tell us that, that we're, they, we don't need their validation. Yeah. And so our community is really just saying like, well, cool, fuck you. And we're just going to yeah. do it anyways. Yeah. And we're going to support each other. And, you know, we'll let you guys go and do your research in your like isolated rooms, <laughs> you know, who, yeah. who don't even ever speak to anyone who actually has a problem well, to get their side. That's what I was going to say, too, is that you it's not that you guys either are um, are, are against them or turn your back on them, but they're not, they're not coming to the source for the information. So my guess would be that your door is open for them to come to that source, to the community and actually talk about it. But if they're not going to do that, then like you said, why, why am I going to rely on them, you know, to, uh, to, uh, to, to prove anything or show any real statistics behind it? Exactly. And you know, for me, that's one part of this community I, I truly believe in is, is it's up to us. Yeah. It's up to us to do things like, you know, we're doing research. We're doing research on our community right now that we'll publish very, very soon that will show the difference in quality of life when someone quit gaming and went through a 90-day program. Yeah. That's evidence, right? It's scientific evidence. We're doing it with professors, doing ethics reviews and all of this stuff to make sure it's a publishable study. But it's up to our community to be out there doing media putting our stories out there, sharing our stories online, supporting each other, doing research, filling in yep. gaps, doing whatever it takes that we can do, take responsibility for it to get that message out there instead of waiting and hoping for some researchers or doctors or whomever yeah. to care. Proactive. I love it. We got to be proactive these days. I want to uh, give a shout out to Anna David too for hooking this interview up. Uh, thanks. Thank you, Anna, uh, if you happen to listen to this for doing that. Anna's pretty awesome, huh? Anna's awesome. She's yeah. hilarious and, and she's definitely, you know, I'm super grateful to have her as a friend and mentor and, yeah. you know, she's taught me a lot. So she's a trailblazer in her own way and, yep. and really grateful for her. For sure. Um, you mentioned that you wrote a suicide note. Is there a lot of, um, I'm assuming there has been some suicides in, in the gaming community. Um, what is that? I mean, I know it's a dark, dark topic. I'm sure it's probably tough to talk about even too, um, but it's an issue and it's something that probably does need to be talked about. Um, what, what's going on with that um, uh, angle of, of all of this? Yeah, that's one of the really tough ones for me because, you know, I'm the one that gets the emails. And, yeah, from, you know, specifically from from people who are saying, like, I, you know, hey, I think I want to kill myself. Yeah, you know, I remember Fuck, at Christmas man, time, crazy. at Christmas time, it was really hard for me because, and, and I don't want to make this about me, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's a weight. Yeah. Because... I want to do a good job and, and I want to be able to support these people. And, and my vision is, you know, if, if you're someone who wants help, you deserve help and you yeah. deserve the best help possible. And, you know, especially at Christmas time, I was getting a lot of messages. I was back home with my family trying to be present with them. And I was getting messages all the time from people saying, Hey, you know, just so you know, like this person or this person or this person, they're talking about suicide. Like, what do we do? And for me, just feeling, I felt very inadequate because I, I didn't feel like we were providing enough support yeah. and infrastructure for them. 
uh, that that's better than just like, hey bro, go call this hotline that I know they're never going to do. You know, another one that spoke to me was, I got a message from someone in Morocco. He was a 15 year old. And I remember, you know, legally I feel obligated to send them a hotline, but I remember looking for a hotline in Morocco and there wasn't one. You know, in this 15 year old. Yeah, what do you do in that spot? You know, you mail him a letter? (laughs) Yeah, you know, with him, I I just tried to talk to him for a minute, you know, but I can only do that so much. Yeah. You know, and I really. so much of you to go go around. Yeah. you know, and they those really those really hurt my heart. I'm very open about about my kind of depression and suicide and, and things like that. And so I get a lot of those messages, and, and I'm grateful that they feel comfortable to reach out to me. Yeah. Uh, but I I feel I need to do a better job of, of having, you know, hey, there's someone right now you can speak to, and I can make a personal introduction to yeah. you right now, and make sure that person is is getting the support yeah. with a professional that they need and deserve but it's done in a way where they feel very comfortable and, uh, and enrolled in the process instead yeah. of, you know, okay, here, dude, just go call this number or go to this website and get some help. You know, they're not going to follow through on that. Well, I think in your, in your journey and your, um, you know, this movement that you're helping to lead, that's going to come in due time. You know what I mean? It's just like, you're doing all the right things. You're out there in the public eye. You're speaking out about it. You created community about it and um, it'll, it'll just continue to grow, which is a phenomenal thing. Um, so if, let's say there's a mom out there listening right now or a dad and, um, you know, well, I was going to say their kid has a problem. Shit. Maybe they have a problem yeah, considering yeah. the statistics. Right. <laughs> and, uh, what do you, how, how does somebody know that they have a problem? I mean, I'm sure there's some obvious signs, but what if they're kind of on the middle ground on the fence about it? Like, how do I know if I'm playing too much? Yeah. So negative impact is where you want to start. Right. So, you know, I, I think we always know the truth. We go to bed at night. And we know the truth when we sit down and and we're just laying on that that pillow we know and so it's getting really honest i would say instead of really looking for signs or looking for if it's a problem or not take a break and see what comes up then right take a day off take seven days off take 90 days off yeah see how it goes right when you do that a lot's going to come up maybe anxiety maybe you're going to feel a bit depressed maybe you're going to experience mood swings or cravings to play You know, what happens is people take 90 days off, which is the program we recommend. And all of a sudden they're like, holy shit, I'm having all these cravings to play. Yeah. Those cravings were happening before. They just didn't know. That's why they were playing so much because they were like literally craving it. Or they're like, wow, I'm thinking about games all day long. It's called preoccupation. I'm thinking about games all day long. They were thinking about games all day long before. They just didn't didn't have the awareness that that was happening it was just happening yeah. subconsciously it's crazy yeah the, the subconscious is completely driving the behavior it sounds like to me I mean, i'm not exactly. any fucking psychiatrist or therapist or anything but i think kind of common sense from explaining it would um would kind of tell that um damn i had a question for you that totally just slipped my mind Go so ahead. yeah so take some time off take seven days off take 90 days off and just see what comes up use it as an experiment oh, yeah. to see what your relationship is like to gaming and whether you go back and and try and game in moderation or not, you now have a reference point for what life is like without it. And I think it's huge, whether you game or not, that reference point of time without gaming is crucial for you to be able to moderate or play less or not play at all. And so 90 days is what I recommend. I would say if you take a week off, I'd be happy about that. 
because it gives you insight into your own behavior. And this whole process ultimately is about you learning more about yourself yeah. and learning more about your behavior and your values and your goals and the vision you have for your life and aligning your behavior with that. And so taking a break can be a really good way for you to do that. If, uh, if anyone wants to look at more information about the 90 day program, is that at gamequitters.com? Yeah, gamequitters.com slash detox. You know, we have 120 videos for free on YouTube. So, nice. you know, lots of these questions are answered on there. And, yeah. you know, just quickly on the parent side, if, if you're a parent and you're kind of wondering about your kid or your teenager, your college student, it's so important that, that you have rapport with them. And so not attacking them for playing, not shaming them for playing, but beginning to have a relationship and inquiring with them about, you know, what do they like about these games? What kind of games do they play? For instance, if they're playing more first-person shooter games, we've already talked about the violence. Yeah. But more importantly, first-person shooters, they like to be the character. So activities like sports where they are the character in the game is super important. If they like role-playing games, they like to kind of play a character. So activities like improv or theater, um, drama, filmmaking, movie making, anything like that, yeah. they could also find those same kind of uh, desires in, yeah. right? So actually inquiring with them, what do you like about these games? When do you find you, you really feel drawn to play? What kind of games do you play? Those will give you insights into, into why they're doing what they're doing. And that helps give you insight into how you can influence them to move forward into something else maybe that you feel is a bit yeah. more productive have you seen have you seen that yo uh johan is it johan yohari or johari um ad on addiction yeah isn't that one of the coolest uh, i get that at least like someone sends that to me almost bi-weekly at really? least yeah. yeah yeah it was super interesting man and i think that there's uh, definitely something to it and the only reason i bring that up is um is because you kind of you kind of touched on that from the parent perspective like we can't we can't shut them down you know, no matter what it is you're addicted to. Is it gaming? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it sex? Is it food? I mean, there's all kinds of different addictions people struggle with. We can't shut it down. And I think um, when we come from it from more of a compassionate perspective, and I'm, I'm learning this by the day, I think, you know, and that's the beauty of it. Um, that's when people connect and they can they can start to feel comfortable in opening up about it. When, when you come and attack, um, that's not gonna that's not gonna help the cause you know what I mean whether it's in America it doesn't matter it just doesn't help it you know it was funny man the other day so I, I have a parent advocate that I, I kind of talk to a lot she helps me understand the parent perspective and you know the very first slide we're putting together a parent module course right now so parents can understand more about this and the very first slide I was like you must say like start with compassion right parents you must have compassion yeah and this parent messaged me back and said you know i i love you and i understand why that's so important but like as a parent if i've been struggling with my kid i've been i've tried everything i've tried compassion if i'm <laughs> yeah. buying this product i'm at the point where i'm done with compassion <laughs> i'm at the point yeah. of like give me something else right and it was yeah. so funny to me because compassion may be the answer of course but there's a way that you have to articulate that and communicate that and when I speak about compassion with my gamers from a place of being compassionate to yourself about you're playing for specific reasons, not just because you're a bad person, right? Yeah, yeah. We have to separate. I love Joe Polish when he says you have to separate between bad behavior and a bad person. 
right? So behavior yeah, is happening because of the subconscious needs that it's fulfilling, but that doesn't mean that someone's a bad person, right? And so even if compassion is the answer, sometimes the, the means of articulating that need to be navigated properly. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, telling a parent, a hey, be compassionate. They're like, yo, I've already done They're that. Like, Fuck you. you. Know, just, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm spent done. This amount of money. I've been through hell and back, basically. You know, I, I feel that's a great point, too. How, how do you kind of um, keep that, but at the same time, almost be strategic about it, right? You yeah. really got to come from a strategic standpoint. And, and that's by education, right? Like, at least with the gamers, and I can speak to this because I've worked with thousands of them, just educating them on why they were doing what they're doing, they've been able to shift their behavior tremendously because they realize that their behavior is is essentially neutral, right? Yeah, they yeah. need to escape. They need to deal with stress. They need to socialize. They need to see growth and progress in life. They need to feel a sense of purpose. That's all good. Now, the way they channel that, whether for good or for evil, that's up to them, Yeah. right? So they can channel that in the direction of their dreams and values and vision, or they can channel it to self-sabotage, to procrastinate, and to just destroy their life. Yeah. But the behavior and the needs it fulfills is the same. Shoot us some links, man. If anyone out there listening uh, wants to get more, we already did gamequitters.com. Is there any other social media sites? Is there uh, any email address, anything how people can get in touch with you, Ken? Gamequitters.com. You can find everything on there. Gamequitters on YouTube. Stop gaming on Reddit. You can also hit me up on Instagram at Cameron Dare. Twitter, the same. CameronDare.com. Cam at gmail.com or Cam at gamequitters.com. You can email me. I respond to everything. Love to hear from you guys. And you can check out the TEDx talks as well. And, you know, special thanks to you, Shane, for having me. Yeah, man. No, it was great, man. It was great talking to you, man. I learned a, a shitload talking to you, man. It's really cool, really interesting. I appreciate it, Cam. Thanks for tuning in today. Go to thatsoberguy.com for more information. You can uh, get email. You can get the emails. Uh, much love to y'all. Thank you for supporting the show. Peace, love, respect. Keep your blood clean.